Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth. What is it that God desires for us? The sanctification of our body. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 4. The world throws everything at you. It's a constant tug. John puts it this way, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the other pride of life, is not of the Father but the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. It's real simple. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Being in the world and not of the world is the everyday challenge of the Christian walk. So how can we walk in victory? Well, Paul gives us the answer right in Romans 12 too. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And today, Pastor Xavier presents a threefold appeal Paul makes to the Corinthians to separate from the world and its dangers, in order that they may present themselves holy before God. Simple truths that not only keep us out of harm's way, but living godly as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 11 down to chapter 7, verse 1. Paul, having preached the gospel to the Corinthians, and now some of the Corinthians, again, being so carnal as we'll see, through the grace of God, he has been painfully informed that they have been deceived by the Judaizers. They are entangled again with the worldly things. They had come to Christ, but again, they had culturalized their Christianity. And this is why this epistle is so appropriate for today, because the church today has culturized the gospel. People are saying they're Christians while living like the world. Now, there's always been that, but there's periods of times when it becomes culturalized, and the church becomes really the fountainhead for false teaching rather than from outside. This is where we are today. They were spurning Paul uh, due to their pride. They were allowing sexual sin in the church. They were suing each other in pagan courts. They were still involved in pagan rituals and sacrifices, which brought a big problem. They were called to repentance by Paul, lest they be judged like Israel in the wilderness. And so Paul's threefold appeal to the Corinthians by the ministry of reconciliation, the term from their idolatrous sin for a complete separation from the world to God, is characterized by three appeals. First, the appeal from love, verse 11 to 13. The appeal from love. Secondly, the appeal from reason, verse 14 through 16. And then the appeal from obedience, Verse 17 down to verse 1. He begins with his appeal from love. Notice in 11, Paul the apostle declared the measure of his love for the Corinthians in spite of their rebellion. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. Paul's tone of voice here cannot be heard when we read, but the context reveals the intense anxiety, the tenderness as a father as he pleads. O Corinthians, which father and mother cannot identify with this? with rebellious children. And you see this whole thing through the, through the whole passage here. He had been with them for 18 months. He established the church. He had cared. He loved them. He had affection for them. 
Paul didn't hold back. He told them exactly what they must do regarding their sin. Repent. Now look at 12. Paul the apostle declared the failure of the Corinthians to measure up the love. Again, as a father confronting, dealing with things. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Paul does not shirk back from charging them with their prideful hearts. They had not been very loving. This was Paul's appeal from love. He loved them. The second appeal is from reason. In verse 14, notice Paul, the apostle, commanded the Corinthians to the biblical standard. The Corinthians were not to be one with the unbeliever. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The phrase unequally yoked means to not be joined to something incompatible or of non-quality, implying they were doing it. They were mixing human wisdom with God's wisdom in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. They were allowing the young man to sleep with the stepmother in 1 Corinthians 5, 1. They were visiting temple prostitutes, making them one with Christ, 1 Corinthians 6, 15. They were culturalizing the church. Do you know how many people are doing that today in the church? Even where the word is taught, people just deceive themselves. They say, well, it's okay. Well, that's just his opinion. He's, you know, he's, he's just a pastor and, you know, really. Paul declared that they were set apart for the sufficiency of the ministry by the new covenant. The ministry of the spirit and righteousness, different. I was this, now I'm that. I used to do that, now I don't. Not rules, not legalism, but a new creation, a new nature, a new mind, a new perspective. Eyes open, heart filled. That's what he's talking about. So he pleaded with them to not receive the grace of God in vain in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Having just talked about the ministry of reconciliation. Paul finally says, straight up, he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Paul the apostle didn't mince words. Straight across. Now, there are two pairs, and the fifth stands alone. All negative, none are compatible. Paul says, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? The word fellowship means sharing or partnership. The obvious contrast is it cannot be missed. Righteousness and lawlessness focus on the moral and ethical standard. Okay? Your standard as a Christian should be a lot different than you were as a non-believer. Lawless. You did your thing. This is not imputed righteousness for our justification in Romans 5, 1 and 2. But it's the source of the imparted righteousness. Now we can live righteously by the grace of God. You understand? Those who are born again, righteousness. Those who are not, lawlessness. We used to be lawless. Now, righteous. By the Spirit of God, as he shared in chapter 3, verse 8 through 9. Now, lawlessness, contempt for the law, violating it, iniquity, wickedness, ungodly living versus godly living. Then Paul says, And what communion has light with darkness? Again, the word communion means association, community, communion, joint partnership, intercourse, commonness. The contrast, again, is too obvious to miss between light and darkness. Each, the outcome of righteousness and lawlessness. 
Focusing on sin nature and divine nature. Before you just had a sin nature. Now you're a Christian, you have a sin nature and a divine nature. You can only overcome that sin nature by yielding to the divine nature. The word light there, false, stands for moral goodness and truth. Those who belong to God, who have received in their hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, as he said in chapter 4, verse 6. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, 1 John 1, 5 says. Darkness stands for evil, error, and corruption. Those who are blinded by the God of this world, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them, as 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says. There's a complete difference. Thirdly, he says, in what concord has Christ with Belial? The word accord here. I, I say concord. I still have the King James. Accord. It means agreement, harmony, appearing in this form only this time. We get our word symphony from it. Christ and Belial don't make good music. Okay? Completely different. Now notice all these words that he uses he uses different Greek words for partnership, communion, fellowship, but they, they're all talking about influence, interacting, being one, and, and, and it's no on every one of these. The contrast here this time is between two persons regarding two masters. Christ the Messiah, the anointed of God, who died for all to be reconciled to God, as he said in chapter 5, and Belial is the one who is worthless, wicked, Satan, the God of this world who has blinded men, chapter 4, verse 4. Now notice, Paul said, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? None. Every one of these answers is none, none, none. If you say some, you get an F on Bible and sanctification. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? There were two brothers in the Taylor family in England. The older one set out to make a name for the family and turn his attention towards parliament and prestige. But Hudson Taylor, the younger, chose to give his life to Christ, so he turned his face towards China and obscurity. Hudson Taylor is known and honored on every continent as a faithful missionary and as the founder of the China Inland Missions. But... When you look in the encyclopedia to see what the other son had done, you find these words, the brother of Hudson Taylor. Is that good or what? The command to not be unequally yoked is one of the, for protection and influence to others. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. That's talking about you and I, individually and corporately. The believer has no business dating or being boyfriend and girlfriend with non-believers at all. This is where the biggest compromise comes in with young Christians. Somehow you think that you can get away with it, that you know the ropes and you're the exception. Listen, I've never met a believer who was light, who dated a non-believer who didn't get burned or pay a consequence. The moral standards are different. The perspective is different for marriage, for life. The home will be divided. If you're a businessman, you're not to go into business with a non-believer. Because if you do, what happens when he doesn't want to pay the taxes? What happens when he wants to pay people under the counter? 
What happens when he wants to just take some material and sign it off the company and take it home? You're part of it. All right? Now, you can be a Christian businessman. You can hire non-believers and show them what it is to be honest and run your company as an example. You can be a Christian and go work for non-believers and show them an example of a good worker, but you never go into business with a non-believer. And in the 39 years I've known, and I've known pastors who have gone in business with non-believers knowingly, great expositors, and they got burned thinking they were the exception. The command is argue from reason, each having the obvious answer. No compatibility. First John 1, 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we don't have the truth. We don't practice the truth. There's no fellowship, communion, accord. No part or agreement with righteousness and lawlessness. Light and darkness, Christ and Belial, believer and unbeliever, the temple of God with idols. Nothing. Now, this doesn't mean that we have nothing to do with non-believers. Paul already said that in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. I did not tell you not to have anything with fornicators of the world. Otherwise, you have to go out of the world. But those who are Christians and they're fornicating have nothing to do with them. So we live in the world, but not of the world. We minister, we witness, we pray, we show our example. But I don't become one with my friends that I left in the world. I don't go party with them anymore. I show an example. I minister to them, I go to them. If they invite me to dinner, I go. But if there's something gets funky, I say, you know what? Thanks for inviting me. I got to be running. Thanks a lot. I don't say, you dirty pagans, I knew I shouldn't have come. I don't say that. Be not fashion this world system. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind to prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Wow. This was Paul's appeal from reason. We're getting the message. Is he trying to ruin their life? That they not have joy? No. He wants to secure their joy. Third appeal, the appeal from obedience. 17 to verse 1. In verse 17, Paul the Apostle called the Corinthians to repent and be reconciled to their holy God. Mark that well. This is the focus. Holy God. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. The call to come out from among them is the only reasonable conclusion by the word therefore. Based on the five rhetorical questions, whose answer is no compatibility. None at all. The quotation here is from Isaiah 52, 11. There's some allusion here to Ezekiel 20, verse 34 also. Now, the quote notice looks back to verse 1, to not receive the grace of God in vain. That's Christians. But respond in obedience to the imperative command by the, his rational and reasonable argument for reconciliation and fellowship with God first. A present tense. The vertical is first. If we get right with God, we'll be right with each other, right? If they get right with God, then they'll be right with Paul. And then they obey and remove themselves from the unbeliever and sin as a personal decision. Don't wait for somebody to go. You don't follow people. You go. You repent. You get back right with God. Don't remain in sin. Notice the call is to be separate. And not touch what is unclean. The positive command now is found in the word separate. It means to mark off from other 
by boundaries. The same word is used by Jesus for the separation of the sheep and the goats in the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25, 23. The authority behind the invitation and command is God. He says, says the Lord, not Paul. He's quoting the Old Testament. This is God speaking. Now notice the negative command is not to touch what is unclean, but it's a positive command not to continue to be unequally yoked. That's the end result. The unclean refers to anything that would violate the believer's body and conscience. The uncleanness of their ungodly sins that are listed in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Some of you are fornicators, adulterers, effeminates, this, that, that. Now you are cleansed. Now you are washed. Now you are justified. It's what you used to be. What are you doing there? And then notice in 18, Paul the Apostle called the Corinthians to be reconciled to their Heavenly Father. He brings it home. The quote is from 2 Samuel where God is promising David a son to sit on his throne in 2 Samuel 7.14. The promise of God was, I will be a father to you. Notice the believers would be God's sons and daughters. Those born of God and part of the family of God in heaven and earth. Now look at verse 1. Paul the Apostle called the Corinthians to remain reconciled as the second conclusion in view of all that preceded. Listen carefully. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The promises refer to the ones just quoted in view of the ministry of reconciliation. That God will dwell with them. That God would walk among them. That they shall be God's people. That God will be a father to them. That they shall be God's sons and daughters. Those who are repented at Corinth. And those who needed to repent. They were still in rebellion. Those who will obey this call. Notice the call again is to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Negative and positive. Or imperative. A constant cleansing at all times. It isn't a one-time cleansing from without and from within. From without flesh, sins done with our physical bodies. From without. From within, spirit. Sins with our thoughts, motives, Attitudes that spring from our intellect, emotion, and wills. From without, from within. The cleansing from the positive is perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The word perfecting means to bring to the goal, to bring to an end. To accomplish, execute, to complete in the present active. Constantly going on a life of sanctification. You never arrive. I press towards the mark, Paul says. I lay hold on that for which I was laid hold on me. Not if I have obtained, as if I'm perfect. No. Without holiness, no man shall see God, Hebrews 12, 14 tells us. The motive and incentive is the fear of God, notice, revering his holiness and the benefit of his promises. It is not fear of God, but fear of hurting and grieving God by my wrong choices. That's what it's talking about. 
Proverbs 1, 7, 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. Revering him, knowing he's a holy God. The seraphims fly overhead saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. J. Adam Clark was told one day by a famous children's specialist the following. Listen, quote, when it comes to a serious illness, the child who has been taught to obey stands four times the chance of recovery than the spoiled and undisciplined child does. The words made a lasting impression upon him. Up to that point, he said, quote, I had been taught that one of the Ten Commandments was for children to obey their parents. Never had it entered my mind that a question of obedience might mean the saving or the losing of a child's life. Amazing. Who can obey these commandments? Those who have received the grace of God and are saved, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Those who have been given a divine nature pertaining to all things in life for godliness, escaping the corruption, 2 Peter 1, 3-4. Why should we obey these commandments? Because God always leads us to triumph, as, as he said in Christ in chapter 2, verse 14. Because we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose from the dead, as he said in chapter 5, verse 15. Because we are new creatures and all things pass away and everything has become new, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That's why. What is it that God desires for us? The sanctification of our body. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 4. It's a constant tug. The world throws everything at you. Be careful. Our sanctification of our mind and hearts, inward. The body is outside, inward now. Romans 12, 1 and 2, present your body living sacrifice, perfecting your mind. Soul out dependency upon Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. To the Spirit of God, Zechariah 4, 6, not by my, my power, but by my Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18, continually being filled with the Spirit of God. Why? Listen, John puts it this way. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the other pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. It's real simple. We're not to be isolated, we're to be insulated by the word of God, the mind of Christ, the new heart, the word of God, the community of God's redeemed. God desires that we reap the benefit of obedience in the long run. Not the sure consequence of disobedience to experience less abundant life. Galatians 6 tells us we should, God should not mock. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. God wants us to have abundant life, more abundant. John 10, 10. If you sow, you will reap. If you plant beans, don't expect watermelon. This was Paul's appeal from obedience. And so Paul's threefold appeal to the Corinthians by the ministry of reconciliation to turn from their idolatrous sin for a complete separation from the world to God is characterized by these three appeals. The appeal from love, the appeal from reason, and the appeal from obedience. Man, what's his motive? He's their spiritual father. He wants the best for them. Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truths about agape love 
the true love of God that conquers all. And whether you want to catch up on parts of today's study that you may have missed, or simply would like to pass on this message to someone else you know, you can request a copy of today's study called Don't Be One with the World. It's available on CD for just $4. And this message also contains everything Pastor Xavier shared on this subject last time we were together as well. The title to ask for once again is Don't Be One with the World. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it helps us when you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Be sure and tune in next time as Pastor Xavier Reese brings us more from 2 Corinthians by describing three marks of a true minister. Important simple truths for all God's saints. Hope you'll be back. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California, www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.